TNT Audio Publishing presents The Carl Dark Cruiser Saga Chronicles by T.L. Dawnstar. Written and read by T.L. Dawnstar. Book 1.0 The Universe Code. Chapter 9. An Old Frenemy The perfectly functioning sliding door slid open perfectly and soundlessly, revealing an elegantly carpeted ship interior complete with an imitation marble water feature that wouldn't look out of place in the home of a space ambassador or that of a particularly greasy second-hand ship dealer who'd successfully wangled his way into an elderly relative's will. As Carl stepped through the doorway, he admired the lustrous shine of the high-polished oak-effect veneer side table, upon the top of which was standing a poorly constructed model of a Nebula-class Y-96 turbo destroyer. <laughs> Shoddy glue application, lack of paint thinning. That's a shame. Really lets down what is otherwise an excellently crafted and technically accurate kit, he mentally reviewed. A young reptilian lifeform in a fluorescent robe woven from the finest holographic nylon strode towards him. The garment had been cut in such a way as to allow the tail adequate swing diameter and was clumsily cinched around the alien's waist by a glittering wicker belt and a huge gold buckle bearing the claw, screwdriver, and cavil fruit insignia. Greetings, Captain. I am Intern Ricky. Do you enjoy our water feature? Fawned the gangly young Carlaxian as he motioned with the huge bulk of his overly large robotic right arm towards the trickling fountain very nearly avoiding a collision with the model ship kit. It pleases me greatly, young one, Carl said formally. Then he raised his left hand and right leg and closed his right eye. Then, using his right hand, pinned shut his left nostril and bowed. I see you are familiar with our customs, Captain, acknowledged intern Ricky. May I offer you some fruit tea or a glass of our finest pond water? Dark Cruiser knew he had to be very careful about what he said and did next. The cybernetically enhanced crocodile man standing in front of him was a member of a very proud race who took tradition and etiquette really, really seriously. Any misplaced word could be deadly. Alas, I must refuse, my good space monster. Pond water doth give me the shits, and fruities for ponces, he announced, dictating each syllable extremely precisely so as not to cause offense. <laughs> Grumbled intern Ricky as he leaned in closer to the space pirate and fruit war veteran's face, scanning him with his glowing red optical implant for any sign of weakness or mild impoliteness. Luckily for Carl, the scanning was cut short before any could be detected, as the booming, snarling voice of Cayman Skullstein echoed through the lavishly upholstered spaceship. Agent Dark Cruiser. The commanding officer of the vessel stood nearly two meters tall, with a barrel chest that was at odds with his incongruously slim legs. His entire upper torso and parts of his grizzled face were covered in old scars, dimmed and faded by time from the intense burn marks they had once been. Didn't think you'd be seeing me again, I wager. Look, Scaly, like I said over the comm, I have no idea who you are or how you know my name, other than the fact that I'm a well-known and infamous outlaw, that is. You really don't remember me, do you? The only Kalaxians I've ever met were on the other side of a phase blaster during the war, and not for nothing. I'd like to keep it that way, said Carl, 
completely forgetting the whole thing about not causing offence he'd seemed so committed to just moments earlier. His comment caused a stir among the gathered crew, and in turn Ricky clenched his massive robotic fist, bared his metal teeth, and began to move pissed offishly towards Dark Cruiser. I command you cease! Cayman bellowed, and the younger alien stopped dead in his tracks. Only the merest flutter in the gold-trimmed hem of his floor-length robe gave any indication as to his previous hostile maneuver. Cayman looked around the cozy cabin at the faces of his crew. None of them looked particularly pleased by Carl's presence. In fact, the looks on their reptile heads might best be described as equal parts anger, disgust, hunger, and anger. The acting assistant general opened his scarred and powerful jaws, and words came out. Words which formed themselves into the following sentence. Come, Cruzy. Let's find a quiet spot where I can... How do you humans say? Job your memory. The battle-hardened Kalaxian general put a muscular dark green arm around Carl's shoulder, exposing the soft, non-scaled skin of his underarm. This makes sense because he was shirtless. In fact, the mysterious Skullstein was wearing nothing but a small woolen thong, the waistband of which held several razor-sharp fruit knives and peeling tools pointing dangerously downwards. Whoever this crockface is, he must trust me implicitly if he's willing to expose his underarm weak spot. It was considered a symbol of friendship and mutual understanding between parties for a Calaxian to bare his bare armpit skin, much like the handshake had been used on Old Earth before it was replaced by the nose lick, which is commonplace across the galaxy to this day. They continued in this arm-on-shoulder fashion along a corridor lined with colourful tiling and six or seven other water features. Carl's supposed old acquaintance stopped at each one of these and described the design, manufacture and plumbing techniques used to create the progressively elaborate structures, as well as the relevant symbological meanings that they represented. A blade cascade with a stainless plasteel arc, for example, commemorated those who had been wronged in business transactions, and a striped stone water wall with plastic reservoir of no more than 85 centimeters signified the resilience of the Calaxian people after receiving the disastrous quarterly report of Space Year 1999. However, the hidden meaning of the ever-popular pissing baby came and explained, had been lost to time. Footnote. If a striped stone water wall has a plastic reservoir larger than 85 centimeters, it is considered the gravest of insults to the shareholders, and the retailer of such a project is sentenced to death. These are indeed quite impressive pieces, Acting Assistant General, said Carl, genuinely impressed with the quality and diversity of not only wall-hanging features, but also monoliths, tube and tower, and classical tiered fountains that were on display. Pray tell. Where did you acquire such an extensive and high-quality assortment? <laughs> Captain, it is forbidden by ancient law for me to reveal their origin. Footnote. Galaxian law may forbid it, but you can find the excellent quality, unbeatable prices, and stellar customer service that befits an intergalactic general at Uncle Frank's Water Features, conveniently located at the Astmore Industrial Estate Runcorn, WA7, 1PN. Uncle Frank's Water Features. Clever water pun here. After several hours of this nonsense, they had finally walked the entire length of the 100-meter corridor and promptly entered Skullstein's private quarters. Cayman heaved his massive leathery body into a studded burgundy synth-leather armchair that was far too small to accommodate his enormous frame. It looked completely stupid, and Carl fought hard to suppress a girlish giggle as the being across from him engaged in the fierce battle betwixt Cyber Lizard and Chair that he presumably went through every day, displaying the classic Calaxian characteristics of dogged stubbornness and poor spatial awareness. 
The loud creaking sound of leathery skin on synth leathery seat gave Carl ample opportunity to covertly whisper into the concealed communicator concealed in the protruding lapel of his genuine new New Zealand shortwall sleeveless action cardigan that he himself had knitted during the long uberspace journey to the pits. Footnote. You can find the pattern for this and tens of other classic Cruiseverse outfits in Knit One Carl One, the 100% official Carl Dark Cruiser pattern book, available exclusively at the Moston branch of Abercarn, wool sold separately. He lifted the woolen flap and spoke into the small microphone. Are you getting any of this, Felicia? came the almost inaudible reply. Just be ready, and listen out for the super-secret code word in case this thing goes tits up. Okay, Kay, I'm ready for you. He refolded the expertly woven fabric skin covering just in time, as Cayman emerged semi-victorious from his furniture-based struggle, just about managing to place his folded arms in a business-like manner on the pine-effect desk in front of him. It is good to see you, Carl, even if you don't remember me, he said sadly. Look, I'm here on on just like you asked, so let's get down to it. What do you want with me and my ship? Carl answered, not at all sadly. All I want is to repay my debt to you. That doesn't really answer my question, General. Tell me, how much do you remember about the war? Almost nothing after the first six solar months. Not after... Argyle Prime. Carl said nothing, but he thought a lot. How could this total stranger recount the exact planet where his memories of the war went from the horrific crystal clarity that had cost him so much in therapy bills over the cycles to the dark, muddy psychological sludge he tried so hard to wade through in search of the truth. As Carr was beginning to get lost in this metaphor, he leaned in closer to Cayman and began squinting his patented squint, desperately searching for any flicker of memory. The slightly worried-looking, scaly green face stared back at him, but in no way looked familiar. Argyle Prime is where you saved my life, the alien said sincerely. I was part of a covert team known as XL Rob. We'd received information that a strategically vital peach canning facility in the Argyle system, controlled by the then-neutral Televian Cooperative, had been abandoned when the war threatened to spread to their borders. My mission was to infiltrate and capture the facility, and retrieve the plans to a prototype canning machine the Televians had been rumored to be developing. The faintest tremor of a vague, ghostly tingle, vibrated gently somewhere in the back of Carl's weirdly shaped skull. But the intelligence reports had failed to mention that when the cooperative had retreated, they rigged a huge area of the planet's surface with plasma mines, miniaturized disintegration portals, but spikes. By the time I reached the plant, I'd lost my whole team. I carry their names with me always. Toothy Joe, Stephen Eagle, Reggie Scartail, and of course, Clumsy more or less, though I really should have seen that one coming. The ghostly tingle was becoming more and more corporeal, with every word that emanated from the middle-aged Robocroc's mouth. I gained entrance to the south side of the facility via swimming up the auxiliary excess syrup disposal pipeline, which, due to my amphibious nature, was an easy task. But I had not accounted for the high fructose content of the liquid and the corrosive effect it would have on my cybernetic components. By the time I reached the factory floor, my optic senses had been badly damaged and failed to detect the hollow projected countdown timer that had just reached zero. The tingle in Carl's brain was now almost fully solid and filled to the brim with hot liquid memories ready to rip free from their metaphysical bounds and soak his mind in a thundering deluge of wet recollection. There was a hot white flash and an intense blast of heat. 
The next thing I knew, I was being dragged from the burning peach canning facility by a pair of soft human hands. Your hands, Carl Darkcruiser. Carl's cerebellum was now fully drenched and sopping wet as the memories of his mission on Argyle Prime washed back into his head, like the flow of one of the many expertly engineered and exquisitely designed water features exclusively available at unbeatable prices from Uncle Frank. He took a breath deeply and glanced up at his old adversary, who seemed to acknowledge that the fib had finally dropped and that the human's memory center had been sufficiently moistened. I... I remember... I think. A low-volume gasp and utterance of, no way, spat out of the hidden communicator, buried deep in the folds of Dark Cruiser's cardigan, followed by the sound of munching popcorn. Please, tell me what you remember, Softskin. Cayman requested. It's still fuzzy, but... but I'll try. Dark Cruiser readjusted in the twist-based peacock wicker chair he had been occupying since he entered the office. He'd had ample opportunity to survey the available seating options in the lushly carpeted room while his host had fannied about trying to accomplish the basic task of sitting down. Although the denim beanbag in the far corner of the room was an initially promising choice in terms of comfort, it offered little in the way of a fast exit strategy from the likely socially awkward and potentially deadly situation. This, combined with Carl's insistence on proper lumbar support at all times, had ruled out the jean-coloured crash mat altogether. The nest of grubby stacking white plastic patio furniture was also a no-go scenario for the picky pirate. Not after that disastrous summer barbecue at the Citadel on Yarricks. The bigwigs at Galcom had deemed the prototype to Livian technology too dangerous to fall into Calaxian claws, and the efficiency savings it would bring if applied to council-controlled packing enterprises could destabilize the fruit market beyond repair and prolong the war for cycles. I was hired to loot the remaining peach reserves, and destroy the facility and any blueprints it contained. I was the only pilot in the systems with the orbs to attempt to run that deep into neutral space. And if I got caught, well, hey, they could just sell me down the river as another dashingly handsome war profiteering space pirate. I looted what I could and hauled it back to my ship, and rigged the facility to blow in sections. But the place was meant to be empty, abandoned. There was no intel to indicate Carlaxian presence. I was walking away with my back to the factory as it exploded. Just after I'd hit the detonator, I heard a girlish, almost childlike scream. <sighs> Roared the originator of the girlish, almost childlike scream. I turned and I saw a burning Calaxian. You, Cayman, flying through the southern window. Uh, I'm not so clear on the rest. I can fill you in. There was a tinny, immature giggle from the tiny speaker of the tiny communicator. Skullstein explained that Carl had ran to his aid, smothering the flames that engulfed his big lizard body with the scarlet-red crop distressed crocodile skin jacket. After the fire was put out, the pair had briefly talked. He told Carl that he'd never met a human with such disinterest in the war, or one with a weaker grasp on the basics of the fruit economy and subsequent import-export tariff-based disputes that led to the conflict, or indeed one who would be willing to risk his own life to save that of a sworn enemy. While helping Cayman up onto his powerful and perfectly defined hind legs, the detonator in Carl's hand had brushed up against the Calaxian's powerful and perfectly defined tail, triggering the second phase of the carefully planned two-stage demolition process that Dark Cruiser had spent ages working out earlier. A huge electric blue burst of plasma energy ripped through the still-standing north wing of the canning facility and dislodged a synthwood hover pallet of pre-canned peacherines, 
sending rogue tins of the illegal hybrid of peach and nectarine, which had been outlawed for over five cycles under the Geldof Proclamation of 1996, which banned the cultivation and distribution of cross-species fruit, hurtling through the six-sweet atmosphere of Argyle Prime, then downwards, at a particularly severe 45-degree angle, directly into the back of the head of Carl Darkcruiser. You went down like a sack of brown apples, or as I believe you humans call them, whole tatoes. After confirming Carl was indeed alive, but fully battered into unconsciousness by the fateful tin that was to bring so much calamity to his future, the ungrateful space lizard cracked open the offending can and ravenously consumed the literal forbidden fruit, casually tossing the empty receptacle over his massively burnt massive shoulder and strolling away. I bore great shame that day. I had failed in my mission, and I had left an honorable opponent to die. Later I swore on the image of the Holy Conquad, the greatest promise one of my kind could make, that if I ever saw Carl Darkcruiser again, I would repay the great debt that I owe him, in any way I could. The next thing I remember was waking up with one hell of a headache, and a meaty dent in the back of my skull in a med center on Cleax 4. The medbots told me I'd been out for weeks, that the war was over. Don't know how I got there. It's still fuzzy, said Carl. Give it time, my friend. There is a saying on my world. When the water runs deep... Friend! Carl quite rudely, but some would argue legitimately interrupted. You left me to die on that PG hellhole! It was a time of war! Cayman said defensively. And my people have worked hard to put the horror of that time behind us. It is your human counsel who refuses to engage in meaningful discourse with the Consortium. Hey pal, I didn't vote for him. Or at all. But I saw what your luck did to the Veltrex colonies. If I hadn't slipped past your pathetic blockade with emergency supplies, those colonists would have been without bananas for nearly a solar week. Carl felt the tension rising in the cabin, and saw the being whose life he had saved all those cycles ago begin to shift furiously in his comically undersized chair. If he didn't de-escalate the situation and return it to the relatively matey terms on which they had started, he would only have six or seven starmans before the Calaxian warrior was on his feet and ready to chomp down his small human head in the disgusting heft of his snarling cybernetic jaws. Listen, amigo. We all did things we weren't proud of. The lack of vitamin C, B, and A pushed both sides to the brink. But the important thing is that we're here now, unarmed, and talking. He had a sudden and potent flashback to the face of the alien he'd failed to help on the pits, and also to loads of killings he'd done during the fruit wars. You are quite correct, you. It is time enough, perhaps... Not to forget, but to begin to forgive. A single tear rolled down his massive lizardy face, and for a moment, both men were quiet. The silence was only marginally ruined by Felicity going, aww, over the communicator. Now if I know you, and I barely do, no doubt you have some thrillingly dangerous adventure to complete. If me or my crew can do anything to aid you in your quest, you have but to name it. Well, there is one thing. one bit you hear me not one stinking bit we're floating out here off the beaten track and smack bang in the middle of somewhere so far away from nowhere it would be an insult to nowhere's everywhere to call it nowhere and you just so happen to run the sole survivor of some cockamamie but wartime fruit highs who conveniently owes you his life you ain't got no memory of until about 10 starmans ago no 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 this has got cult of the cone shenanigans written all over it in 20 meter high glowing hot pink neon letters that was all felicity phobos talking which should have been obvious from the well-crafted and particular manner of her speech 
and indeed to Carl, who was standing across from her in the open-plan breakout area on Starhol's administrative deck, it was. She clenched one of her large and beautiful hands into a large and beautiful fist, and slammed it down on the yellowed laminate-adjustable height work desk that stood as a barrier between them, much like their differing opinions on how to proceed with their current situation also divided them. Unaware of this poignant visual metaphor, Carl responded to her previous long, rambling sentence. You want to let me in on what other options we've got right now? Phil grumbled something unintelligible and unrepeatable. Look, Skullstein's willing to let us dock and have his crew make the repairs that we need. The Calaxians are Galaxy-class ship mechanics. They'll have a purring like a lascat again in a few solar days. And what happens if the Council finds a Calaxian freight hauler sauntering along illegally in breach of the treaty? She left the slightest of pauses, and although Carl suspected that the question wasn't meant to be answered, he just couldn't take that risk. He began to open his mouth to respond before being completely shut down. Don't answer, I'll tell you. They get blown out of the sky and us right along with them. They've been running black market trade routes right under the council's noses for cycles. He retorted, still mentally kicking himself for falling into the blindingly obvious rhetorical question trap just seconds earlier. Cayman knows how to avoid detection. He's former black ops. He's trained for operations like this. We take his offer or we drift through the void until a star core or sex center patrol finds us. All the life support systems fail. Either way, it's dead city, sweetheart. Do you trust him? I learned a long time ago not to trust any goddamn being in this galaxy that isn't named Carl Rufus Darkcruiser. But he's bound by his stupid honor to help me. And trust me, they take that kind of thing ridiculously seriously. Yeah, true enough. I've had my own run-ins with the Galaxian Code of Honor in the past, but we're playing a deadly game with the highest of high stakes against the most powerful group in the galaxy, and the cult don't play by anyone's rules. If Skullstein's in league with him, his precious code is meaningless next to the holy quest for the cone, and the elders will have used whatever dirty tricks necessary to guarantee his loyalty. Like they guaranteed yours? He said, pointedly. She looked Carl dead in the eyes, slowly reached under the table between them, and flipped it over like a maniac. Maintaining steely eye contact throughout the entire 360-degree rotation that the desk had unwittingly found itself subjected to, before clattering to the metal deck several meters away, legs akimbo and surface severely dented. Although the physical barrier between them had been removed by her angry outburst, the emotional barrier had grown only more thick and solid. Felicity Phobos took one determined step towards Carl Darkcruiser grabbed him by the lapel of his treasured cardigan and pulled his face close into her face. She narrowed her eyes and clenched her teeth. Through those now impenetrably clenched teeth came a voice so filled with pure hate and white-hot burning rage that it had flipped all the way back round and actually sounded quite cheerful. They made my life a living hell for 16 years. They took the one goddamn thing I ever give half a shit about in this whole f***ing universe and I will make sure they pay for it with interest. Do you understand me, you little scroat? So much for her new cycle's resolution. Suddenly, a blaring alert shot through the interior of the ship, and the floor beneath them began to shake violently. Computer, what's going on? Carl shouted above the din. The Kalaxian ship is pulling us in with their graph beam. The regional voice answered. Deploy reverse thrusters. Calm. Debugged. Fire particle cannons. Knackered. Prepare emergency jump to- What cooker? I'm gonna stop you there. There's sort of all we can do about this. Alright.
the Carl Darkruiser Saga Chronicles is a production of Dawnstar Audio, written in red by T.L. Dawnstar. Carl Darkruiser was played by T.L. Dawnstar, and Felicity Phobos was played by Theodora C. Sinclair. Get in touch via electronic mail using the address tldawnstar at gmail.com or via Twitter at tl underscore dawnstar. Next chapter, Point of No Return. <laughs>